Let's talk for a moment about how Hollywood sees robots as machines operating autonomously using artificial intelligence, also known as AI. And in the movies, these AI-running machines are usually human-like, usually also either very good, like R2-D2 in Star Wars, or very, very evil, like Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. And you might say that that is a false dichotomy, that it's a Hollywood thing. But in fact, the potential for artificial intelligence to make the world either a very much better or a very much worse place for people is at the center of some pretty furious discussion taking place in places like the Silicon Valley, where companies like Google and Facebook and Apple are investing massively in AI technology these days, such that the technology is bound to continue to touch our lives even more than it is already. And the question is, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is it even a real thing? All of which sounds like the makings for a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this motion. Don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the 92nd Street Y as part of their seven days of Genius Festival with four superbly qualified debaters who will argue for and against the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. As always, our debate will go in three rounds and then our audience will vote to choose the winner and only one side will win. So our motion is this, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. Let's meet the team first arguing for the motion. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Andrew Keene. So, Andrew Keene, you are an internet entrepreneur. You're currently executive director of the Futurecast Salon. You're author of the book, The Internet is Not the Answer. Your second time debating with us. The first time, the motion was smart technology is making us dumb. You argued for the motion. The debate ended in a tie. Do you expect a better outcome than a tie tonight? Well, I certainly expect a better outcome because our voters are humans rather than machines. So I'm trusting you to to do a good job tonight, all of you out there. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Keene. And Andrew, please tell us, who is your partner in this debate? My partner is the great philosopher and poet of Silicon Valley, Jaron Lanier. Ladies and gentlemen, Jaron Lanier. Jaron, you are also arguing for the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. You are a former goat herder and midwife, an artist, a computer scientist, the father of virtual reality and an interdisciplinary scientist at Microsoft Research. You're author of the book, You Are Not a Gadget. You are often described as a pessimist when it comes to our digital future. Is that fair? No, it's absolutely unfair, and I would never describe myself as a pessimist. Uh, The pessimist is somebody who believes things are worth improving and attempts to do so. It's the the Panglossian optimist is the lazy bum who's just like, oh, it's all great, and I am not that person. All right, well, yeah. well, we'll get to know you better as the evening goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing for the motion. And we have two debaters arguing against the motion. Don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. That means they are arguing. Trust it. First, please, let's welcome James Hughes. James, you are a sociologist, a bioethicist. You are the executive director of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies, author of Citizen Cyborg, Why Democratic Societies Must Respond to the Redesigned Human of the Future. You are also a proponent of something called democratic transhumanism, which means what? Transhumanism is the belief that our descendants will be strange and wonderful, that humanity is a work in progress, 
that we can use technology to be smarter and happier and live longer and healthier. You're the optimist. And I'm the optimist. Okay. And please tell us who your partner is. My partner is the Renaissance woman, Martine Rothblatt. Ladies and gentlemen, Martine Rothblatt. Martine also arguing against the motion, don't trust, that means trust, the promise of artificial intelligence, your author of the book, Virtually Human, The Promise and the Peril of Digital Immortality. You launched the GPS navigation system Geostar in the 80s. You founded Sirius Satellite Radio. You founded a biotechnology company. You founded a religion. And then in 2010, you commissioned a robotic clone of your wife called Bina48, You have had a pretty good track record for success, but will Bina48 therefore someday be a fully conscious being? So I think she will be someday a a fully conscious being. It's not going to be in a business planning cycle or an election cycle, but if you take a look at the uh, time frame of social movements or technology paradigms, we'll go from no cyber consciousness till there'll be billions of cyber consciousness. Okay, sounds like another optimist. Ladies and gentlemen, Martine Rothblatt and the team arguing against the motion. Let's move on to round one. The motion is this. Don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. Speaking first for the motion, Jaron Lanier. He's a computer scientist, a composer, author of the book, Who Owns the Future? Ladies and gentlemen, Jaron Lanier. Hey. So from my perspective, there has to be a division made between the work itself, the engineering and the science, on the one hand, and then on the other the narrative that we have about it, the fantasy life of it, perhaps the religion of it. These are two distinct things. It doesn't mean one is good and one is bad, but they're just different sorts of beasts. So to say, what is the promise of an area of research? We fundamentally don't know. It's research. It's basic research. We currently don't know what a thought is in terms of scientific description. We can kind of find collections of neurons that seem to activate at certain times. It's provocative. We can replicate certain functions. It's provocative. Do we understand how brains work? No. Uh, And yet, the work is fascinating. The work is important. Uh, A lot of our existential threats as a species involve great complexity. We wouldn't even know about climate change if it weren't for masses of sensors networked together that would allow us to get a big picture. We would be blind to our perils without it. So to say that there isn't promise in pursuing giant information systems and sensing systems and algorithms to understand it all, like I can't imagine any serious person taking that position. So this, this this other realm the fantasy life, the culture. And here, I do find myself not enjoying it. And I'd like to just say a few things about where it fails. A lot of the systems we call smart systems are kind of derailed from the empirical process. Nobody cares how fancy your algorithm is. The only thing you can measure is how well the machine works in the end. So if you don't define a baseline that's measurable, you're off in fantasy land. And so adding this whole layer about how we're transcending and everything, it just confuses matters. Uh, There's an economic angle to it. I love automatic machine translation. I love that you can go online and get something converted to German automatically. My own lab does that. We have real-time Skype translation now. But the only way we do it is by scraping the efforts of millions of translators who don't even know what's happening to them to get the examples. And in order to have the fantasy that this thing is a freestanding creature, we're pretending these other people don't exist, and we're creating potentially a massive wave 
of technology-driven unemployment, that doesn't need to happen. We shouldn't be shrinking the economy over a fantasy. If we just acknowledge that the people are just contributing in new ways, you know, this fantasy of these artificial creatures makes us ignore our own lives, our own contributions. Uh, but then I have to say something else. I understand that for many people, these ideas of AI have become very tender and dear to them. They've become part of the way they think about their lives and their loved ones and their future. They think they might become immortal or something. I have absolutely no interest in ridiculing or opposing that. I, I absolutely believe in religious freedom, and I would never, never, never speak against somebody's beliefs. I respect them. All I ask for is a separation of church and state. Without a separation of church and state, there can be no religious freedom. Never more true than when it comes to AI. Thank you, Jaron Lanier. The motion is don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence and... Here to make her opening statement against the motion, Martine Rothblatt. She is chairman and CEO of United Therapeutics and author of the book, Virtually Human. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Martine Rothblatt. So uh, to me, the, the promise of AI revolves around the three terms, replication, application, and then fascination. So with regard to replication, the promise of AI is that we will be able to replicate a human mind. Because we're not talking about replicating the structure of the human brain with the hundreds and billions of different uh, subtle neural connections of which, as Jaron says, we have slight knowledge. Instead, we're talking about replicating the function of a human mind, much in the way that um, we're not able to replicate a bird, but we're able to replicate flight. And the promise of artificial intelligence is not that we will replicate every little nuance of a biologically human mind, but it will be a replication of human consciousness. The second term is the term application. So from replication to application, what do we mean? The promise of AI is that this stuff will be good for things, that we will really have uses for artificial intelligence. Otherwise, why bother developing it? The um, application of artificial intelligence that I find um, most amazing is the application of it to diseases of the mind, specifically diseases such as dementia and Alzheimer's. And if we are able to go ahead and develop something that a person that has lost a lot of the faculties of their mind can instead rely upon because it provides a pretty good replication of their thoughts of their responses, of their ability to recognize loved ones and respond to ones, the ability to talk and form sentences and have an interior sense of reality. That promise of artificial intelligence, I believe, will come to pass because there's an enormous demand for it. Finally, once we've replicated our minds and once we've been able to develop applications that make these AIs so useful to us and such an important part of our life, the next thing that comes to me is fascination. We will love these AIs. We'll love them in the same way that we love our cats and our dogs, that we love our friends, because if it is a replicated human mind, it will have all the cool features of human minds. Be able to feel empathy, and when we're sad, help us feel better, and we're happy, join in that joy. Our fascination with AI will be for the AI that's friendly to us, we have no fascination with cars that don't stop when you put on your brake. 
AI will arise in a natural environment in which humans are the agents of selection. We will select for the friendly AI, and we will stamp out the unfriendly AI. This does not mean that there will never be bad AI. This does not mean that there will never be broken applications. But ultimately, it will be the efforts of millions of individual hackers throughout the world in a decentralized process that will result in a beautiful AI that will be the fascination of all of us and therefore will be a definite survivor in the future to come. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Stay with us. And a reminder of where we are, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. You have heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third, Andrew Keene. He is executive director of Futurecast and author of the book, The Internet is Not the Answer. He will argue for the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Keene. So this is a huge issue. The notion that we can replicate ourselves, our intelligence, our being, our identities, our souls, whatever other word you want to use. So this is not a debate irrelevant to the future. Indeed, it is probably the central debate of the 21st century. Important to remind ourselves of this debate. We are not talking about trusting artificial intelligence. We're arguing that we shouldn't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. We need to separate the science from the belief. And that's, I think, the argument that our team is making, is that there's a problem not with the technology, but with its promise, with the ideology. But the problem today is that the philosophers have got hold of this technology and they're presenting it as liberation theology, at least some of them are. We've been through this, of course, before in the middle of the 19th century. Marx thought the Industrial Revolution would free us from work, would free us from inequality. He was, of course, entirely wrong. We're told that this AI will liberate us from our bodies. That's really what Martin is saying, that we'll live forever, that our minds will be replicated, they'll be up in the cloud, we'll never die. If we go insane, if we get Alzheimer's, somehow our essence, our kernel will remain. We're told that AI will liberate us from work because we'll have these smart machines which will do our labor for us. They'll drive our cars. They'll do our medicine. We'll go to an artificially intelligent agent, an algorithm, to be taught Perhaps one benefit is we'll avoid lawyers, but apart from lawyers, I (laughs) worry deeply about the impact of AI on the expert professions of the 19th and 20th centuries, the very professions that represent the backbone of our economy. The problem with this promise is it's being thought through philosophically, idealistically. We're not thinking about it in the context of the real world. Who is going to own these platforms? Will it be Google? Google is pouring billions of dollars into AI, as is Facebook, as is Amazon, as are the other giants of Silicon Valley. Do you trust these guys to benefit mankind? Do you think they care about us? 
These aren't bad people or bad companies, but they're focused on profit. They're focused on monopoly. They're focused on owning that technology. The promise is scary. The promise is that the technology is moving way faster than we are politically, culturally, existentially. We're not ready for this yet. We're not ready to replicate ourselves, whether it's in 50 or 100 years. We can't imagine the cultural, the social, the economic impact. We haven't thought about AI in the way it will destroy labor, destroy jobs. What are we going to do when we have these machines that do everything for us? How are we going to create value in a world where all this technology will be owned by increasingly monopolistic companies? So we can't, at the moment, trust AI. We can't trust its promise. Thank you, Andrew Keene. And that is our motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, James Hughes. He's executive director of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies and author of the book, Citizen Cyborg. Ladies and gentlemen, James Hughes. So this has been very useful. We've narrowed down to, I think, what is an intelligible question around promise. Uh, And it's an ideological question that I would frame as the promise of human intelligence itself. And that is that artificial intelligence is a, a manifestation of human intelligence, an extension of our capacity. And the promise is the same promise that we have been uh, suggesting since the Enlightenment, that human beings, by taking control, by understanding how we think and understanding the world, that we can take control of the natural and political and social circumstances that determine our affairs and make a better world. And artificial intelligence can be reframed as the codification of the way that we do things together. Civilization is a form of artificial intelligence. It's what allowed us to build cathedrals and aqueducts and banking systems. It's what allowed us to create laws and universities and standard operating procedures. And today, that crystallization is taking the form of workers figuring out how to make things faster and better and smarter. And yes changing the nature of work in ways that we should discuss. Today, artificial intelligence is applied to our genomes, to our healthcare systems, to trying to figure out how to diagnose and treat disease in ways that, yes, no one physician or nurse will ever be able to comprehend, that we will be able to put in the hands of every healthcare provider and in the hands of ourselves, those tools which will allow us the empowerment of understanding our own bodies. It is also armies figuring out who to kill and how to kill them most efficiently. It is also advertisers and totalitarian governments figuring out how to suppress dissent and how to manipulate opinion. It is stockbrokers trying to figure out the best ways to exploit workers and accumulate wealth into the hands of the 0.1%. So reason and technology can be applied to all these different ends. And the question of the difference between one end and the other is a value difference. It is a difference that comes out of the values, as I said, of the Enlightenment. If we fight for free and equal societies in the future, the applications of technology, including artificial intelligence, will be applied in free and equal ways. 
But our decisions to be pessimistic about artificial intelligence will have no effect on the application by China or North Korea or other authoritarian regimes. It is our own embrace in liberal democracy of these powerful tools making our society as strong and as effective as possible that will determine its future. So future AI will allow us to understand the complexity of the genome, unlock health and longevity for our children. It will not determine whether there's universal access to health care. That is on us. Future AI will allow us to displace routine labor and make possible abundance and leisure for all. But it will not tax the rich. It will not determine if we create a, a safety net and a universal basic income so that we can all benefit from that universal abundance. That is on us. Technology itself does not determine these outcomes. We need to focus on creating the political context so that these powerful tools, the product of tools that we've been working on for tens of thousands of years, will be applied in the best possible way. So I urge you to vote against this proposition, the proposition that we not trust the promise of AI, because if you do vote for it, you're voting against the promise of human intelligence itself. Thank you. Thank you, James Hughes. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another in turn, and they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York at the 92nd Street Y. We've heard uh, Jaron Lanier and Andrew Keene argue the don't trust side. They're saying that um, the central debate of the 21st century will be this one, that they are not against the technology itself, but they are against the promise as it has been laid out. They just say that the implications of this world of AI are not being thought through, that it's less about the technology, actually, than about a belief system and a self-deluding one, they say, at that. They also point out that most of us, uh, or those of us who are in the expert classes, are very likely to be out of a job, that the whole issue has been oversold, the threat to expert professions is real, and that the promise itself is actually scary. The team arguing against the motion, and that is to say they are arguing to trust it, Martine Rothblatt and James Hughes, they are actually describing uh, artificial intelligence when all is said and done really as no no more than a set of tools, tools uh, equal to other tools that we have used throughout history. They say that the promise of artificial intelligence itself is obvious. It's the promise um, that the human being can create technology that can make a better world, not a new story. They laid out the vision of replicating a human mind, not in its structure, but in its function. And they say that an artificial intelligence intelligence, if managed by us, and the choice to manage is ours, has the potential to be good, to be useful, to navigate, to cure, especially to cure diseases of the minds, and that it can evolve in an organic and friendly way. So what we have here is obviously already a discussion and quite a complex one that is as much about physics as it is about metaphysics and as much about technology as it is about philosophy. And I want to take first uh, to to Jaron Lanier. Um, Your opponents have said, quote-unquote, we will love the artificial intelligences in our lives. A really powerful assertion of their bottom line that what's there has great promise. It's going to do great good. We're going to become comfortable. We're going to become familiar. They will not be alien. They will be part, something that is part of our world such that we are glad they are there and they are not unnatural. Will we love the artificial intelligences or at least can you respond to your opponent's assertion to that point? Mm. You know, uh, people are 
we're social, we want to be decent, and if we're presented with an artificial character, even the ones that exist today, the Siri or the Cortana, we'll be deferent to them. We'll give them a shot. We find it funny. They're cute. And if what technologists are doing is telling people, hey, you're not so special, our machines are just like you, we shouldn't be surprised if people then respond by saying, well, we don't trust your medicine, we don't trust your modernity. Let's let Martin Rothblatt respond to the point. Thanks. I have uh, no doubt that we will love our AIs uh, just as much as we love our pets. I could not uh, disagree more with uh, Andrew. I mean, I just imagine that um, he's creating AIs, this fearful creature that will uh, take our jobs away. And it reminds me of somebody standing up in the middle of the 15th century and saying, you know, don't trust the promise of the printing press. Um, The scribes shall have nothing to inscribe. And um, instead, we've had a mass democratization. This is, as James said, an enormously empowering and liberating force of AI. And what's most important is that we, the people, make sure that access to AI is available to everyone. And since it will be the hackers that create this AI out of open source software, I think there's nothing to fear. All right. Andrew Keener, was your position fairly characterized there? He's absolutely wrong when it comes to technology and jobs. The fact is, is that most major economists cannot figure out what people are going to do. He talks about cuddly AIs. That's not a job. There's no labor there. He talks about open source. Absolute nonsense. The four most valuable companies in the world today are Facebook, Google, Microsoft, um, and Apple. (laughs) And these four companies are the owners of the platforms of our networked age. Where's open source there? Open source is just another ideological dream. It never right. happens, and I doubt it will ever happen. Let me bring in James Hughes to respond to some of what your opponent just said. Sure. Well, see, I believe in technological unemployment. It's actually, I've been trying to make the argument for, for a decade now, but um, I believe in its inevitability. But I'm one of those lefty uh, folks who, for the last 200 years, thinks that eventually freeing us all from wage slavery might be a good idea. And that uh, if, in fact, people started to see the the inevitability of the elimination of work, that we might all wrap our minds around the concept that there might be something better to do than all have wage slave jobs. Um, I think there's probably no definition of futility, no worse definition than knowing that the machine next to you could do the job that you're doing faster, better, and safer, um, but that you're forced to do it because somebody says you can't use that machine. So, Jaron so, so look, there are two problems with this. First up, there's a phenomenon I call premature mystery reduction, which is when, when we pretend we have something working that we really don't. So right now, most AI actually depends on scooping up things that people do. So you're factually wrong to say that they're not needed. Now, I'm an optimist. I don't want to believe that we'll always be stuck with our current level of knowledge. So I'm, in a sense, I'm a transhumanist, but I just believe that it's a fundamental unknown what the timeline is. If we pretend they're not needed, and then we have some agency that doles out basic income to them as if they weren't needed, you really think that thing's not going to be a magnet for corruption? Every history lesson okay. teaches us that that's a huge peril. I'm going to break in Don't there. step into that problem. I'm going to break in there to let Martine come in. I'm no, glad that I mean, we're down talking about facts and, and figures here because I, I don't think uh, that the facts support the idea that new technological innovations such as AI result in mass unemployment. In fact, uh, there are today, uh, with our global population of almost 8 billion people, vastly more people employed doing things than there ever were in the, in the annals of history. You could imagine that uh, before the, the turn of the 20th century, 
back in 1900, over 95% of all people were on farms. And somebody would make a very um, sensible argument saying we can't allow in tractors and things that steal our techniques for, for harvesting vegetables and food because then all these farmers will be out of work. Instead, now we have you know, less than 10% of the global population raising food. The average nutritional content of everybody on average is much higher. And there's vastly more people doing vastly more interesting jobs and passions than ever before. We are an intelligent, creative species. It is in our DNA to solve problems. We wouldn't be here today if we weren't super good problem solvers. In the past, we were farmers and then carpentry. Now coding is the new carpentry. We will figure out new and amazing things to do. And well, Andrew King, Andrew King, now what about that? I mean, you are here, you, you, you accuse your opponents of optimism, and they certainly do sound optimistic. What's there's wrong with there's that? There's nothing wrong with optimism. As long as you're optimistic about, and, and, you're, and you're realistic. And by the way, General, I didn't know you were a transhumanist. If, if I'd have known, I wouldn't be on your team. Well, I mean, you know, within the context no, of just, how unknown it all is, you know. But... Uh, the unknown unknown, right? That's yes, I'm a Rumsfeldian transhumanist. Um, and by the way, I have no idea what our team, our team seems split. On the one hand, we have one, one guy saying that he's celebrating the elimination of work, and then Martin saying that actually we're going to innovate so much that everyone will have new jobs. So you guys have got to make up your mind whether well, you're for or against jobs. Has he pointed to a contradiction in your team, Ajay? Um, I th- well, it partly depends on what a job is in the future. You know, I, I'm, what I want to see eliminated is wage slavery. I think we'll all have occupations. But, c- but, oh, but, but can I just say one thing? The vast majority of economists are deeply worried with this, Martin. What, 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 give me some examples of economists who say, yeah, there's going to be millions of jobs in the future. We don't need to worry about this. We're just at the beginning of what we can do as a human species. We've got things like electric cars, which just 10 years ago, all the economists and the technocrats and the bureaucrats dismissed as impossible. Now people are saying, hey, soon the whole economy is going to be electric. James Hughes, one of, the, one of the strongest statements your opponents made is that we are not ready to replicate ourselves. We just have no idea what uh, artificial minds are going to be like. So, yes, I think if the project is to replicate a human mind and put human mind emulation into a machine, that's one kind of project. If, the, if, if on the other hand, uh, uh, self-awareness emerges out of the Internet or just through all the communications and, and, uh, and information in the world, we have no idea what it's going to be like. Yeah, I agree with James because, you know, contrary to what Andrew said, the, the mass of people throughout the world are the ones who are creating our Internet. Websites were not created all by Google and Amazon and, and Apple. They were created by literally millions of people creating but, but, but that content Andrew's just saying they're appropriated by... Right, but uh, let's use... Yeah, okay, Martin, Andrew let's King. use Andrew the example King. of Google. Durant defines artificial intelligence, I think, very intelligently as the algorithm. Google owns the most valuable algorithm in the world. That algorithm is a collection of our intelligence. Google essentially has aggregated the entire intelligence, brilliant uh, maneuver, I'm not saying it's immoral in any way, but Google now owns our collective intelligence. It's a company now that's worth, it'll probably be the first company that's worth a trillion dollars. Where do they pay back to us, our intelligence, that revenue? And that's, that's Jerome's point. When you pair back the curtain, It's not artificial intelligence, it's us, and we're not benefiting. 
I, I just think it's fascinating that you reiterated my point, which is that artificial intelligence is, in fact, a crystallization, a formalization of collective human intelligence. And therefore, not to trust the promise of artificial intelligence is to dismiss the promise of collective okay. human intelligence. So, yes, I don't think it should be in private hands, but that's a different question. I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. The next topic up for debate, are you for or against building your own website? Building a website can be tough. Even if you do know your way around coding, creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair. Lucky for us, Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful websites that look professionally designed, regardless of skill level. No coding required. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools, Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust Squarespace for your website needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world trust in them too. When you really think twice about it, you can't beat the ease and simplicity. Squarespace gives you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website. So what are you waiting for? Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Make sure to use the offer code intelligence to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Intelligence Squared U.S. debates. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Okay, I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this debate from Intelligence Squared U.S., from Artificial Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. All right, let's go to some questions from the audience, please. Right down the front. Yeah, my name is Nick Hill. Uh, The goal of artificial intelligence is to create a system that could actually be smarter than a human being. So I'm wondering, uh, when that happens, how do we make sure that human beings are, one, on the good side of it, and two, what's really preventing it from... You're saying that would be a different, a game-changing technological development? When the computer is smarter than a human being, can replicate itself. Let's take it to Martine. So my view is that there's not a, uh, it's a false dichotomy between an artificial intelligence that's smarter than a human being and a human being. I think that for an artificial intelligence to be smart and intelligent, it needs to be as human as we are. And therefore, there's a continuum of consciousness between humans and artificial intelligence. The dichotomy is false. Jaron, would you like to respond? Yeah, I'd like to. I don't think this is new. It's happened before. And the example I'd like to give you, that markets can do things that people don't seem to be able to with planning. We have to be able to use them as tools. We have to treat them as technology, not as religion. As soon as we treat uh, the market principle as a religion, then we actually screw up markets even. And so, so the wise thing to do is to recognize that we can build these things we have, and yet we build them in a way that we can use them as technologies, not as religions. Then we can use them well. Right down in front here. My name is Ahmad. I'm a programmer. Uh, I would like to ask one question to the panel. What do you think AI is, or what do you think it's accomplishing? I mean, as a programmer, how, why, do you, why would I want to build consciousness into a machine? Well, this goes back to the previous question. Is, is AI something outside of ourselves, or is it an extension, an, uh, an intelligence augmentation of us? And I don't think that there's a market plan for toasters that don't want to give you toast because it has something better to do that morning, or a bomb that decides it doesn't want to bomb because it likes the person that you're trying to bomb. You know, there's, there's no market plan for truly self-aware, self-determined robotics, except for those who perhaps want to continue their own consciousness in an emulation of their brain. That's a, that's a particular market plan. Other than that, I don't see a great market plan for that. So for the rest of it, it's an extension of human intelligence into the world, and therefore I would call that intelligence augmentation as opposed to artificial intelligence. Andrew Keene, do you want to take the question as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I rather I think Jerome should define artificial intelligence. He's probably the most suitable of, all, of everyone here. Well, he, he, I mean, he gets it more than anyone. AI is more than anything else a funding category for research. And um, <laughs> no, I mean it's like, uh, and uh, it incorporates a wide range of of uh, disciplines and pursuits that might or might not have been uh, bundled together, and they were bundled by historical accident in many cases. You know, we have uh, a field that, that's lost its moorings to fantasy, so we don't know. I mean, uh, I, I very strongly believe in research and coordinated systems and algorithms. I strongly believe that these things are improving the world and that they're essential. I strongly, you know, like right. the, the but, actual work is great, but this fa- the fantasy life... Just, I, I, I want to break in, Jeremy, because Martine has d- direct experience in creating this uh, artificial intelligence cyborg, basically, uh, based on, on your wife. W- tell us what AI is for you. There's nothing probably that people value more than other people. Um, what we value most about other people is probably their mind, uh, if you want to call it their soul, their spirit, their camaraderie. And so there is going to be an irresistible pressure for lots of people to try to create artificial people. That's what humans do. We like houses. We make artificial houses. We like to go fast. We make artificial horses. Um, We love mines. We make artificial mines. Let's go on to some more questions. Michelle Shevin, I'm a senior analyst at uh, Luminary Labs. The question's primarily for Martine, but I'd love to hear um, everyone's take. So isn't it actually um, irresponsible to trust the promise that humans are actually capable of building a system that will deliver okay. us from the destruction that we've wrought on Let our me, planet? Let's bring that first to Jaron Lanier. The great danger we face is within ourselves. You know, um, we, We've gotten good enough at technology that most of our problems are brought by our own actions now. We are in our own troubles. And so the solution to that has to be uh, clarity of mind. We have to be able to see clearly what we're doing to ourselves in order to do something differently. So the thing that I keep coming back to here is to do everything possible to not fall into fantasy. We mustn't hypnotize ourselves if we're to survive. Let me let uh, Martine answer the original question. Thanks. Um, I agree with Sharon that we are at war with ourselves, and perhaps as humans we always have been. But um, one of Eisenhower's uh, best quotes was that no war is ever won by pessimists. And in order for us to win this war with ourselves, we too must be optimists. And I believe that while we face towering problems... We've also made towering successes. The promise of artificial intelligence is not that it's going to be here tomorrow in four years or eight years. This is a multi-decade process, and I do believe we have time to get it right. Andrew Keene, you have not reached for this sort of Hollywood version of the smart machines taking over and making a direct enemy of humankind and killing humankind. But but in in fact, there are serious people outside of Hollywood scriptwriters who are coming up with those scenarios and saying they're real. Is that so far out there as to be irrelevant? It comes back to the Rumsfeld thing again. We, we, we don't know. It, it's about knowing about unknowns. At the moment, I don't buy... It's a, as you say, it's a Hollywood scenario. The idea that we're going to wake up in the next five or ten years and robots will not only be smarter than us but acquire their own consciousness and have a, what 
Marx might call a species being, I think is absurd. But we don't know. A lot of it depends on Moore's law. A lot of it depends on, 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 on the sort of the, the runway of computational power. And the reality is, is it's not impossible. But I think it's, it's an unhealthy uh, part of the debate because it's so speculative and so easy for Hollywood scriptwriters to take advantage of. The real issue are the, the ones that we're talking about today. The real issues are jobs, what we're going to do, who owns, all this, who, who owns all these algorithms, and how we as a species benefit. I just, James Hughes, I just say, I'll, I'll come back We actually agree, and I think that there is a, a path forward in how we prepare for the possibility, the, what I consider a currently remote possibility, of a catastrophic emergence of some kind of artificial intelligence. And that would be precisely the path that we have uh, explored around cyber theft, cybersecurity, um, having resilient information systems, being able to turn off pieces of the Internet if, if we need to. Um, we have a path forward, and it's unfortunately the magical thinking, which I think you're correct about in certain quarters, which uh, leads people to say, oh, no, no, it's going to jump out of the box, and in 10 seconds it's going to take over everything and then send its, uh, its nanobot minions to knock down your door, that, uh, you know, that's just, the, that is fantasy. And, we, and, and that means that people don't pay attention to the political and security and, uh, and criminal uh, sanctions that we can put in place today to minimize that possibility. That concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. Round three, closing statements. Each debater will speak uninterrupted, in turn, here to summarize his position supporting the motion not to trust Jerome Lanier, a computer scientist and author of the book, Who Owns the Future? There haven't been too many times when you've been told by technical people that you must reduce your sense of autonomy in order to be hip and with it and intelligent and not left behind. Don't give up your sense of human responsibility. These machines are ultimately, for the foreseeable future, until unforeseen scientific breakthroughs, rehashing the activities and the brilliance of people in new ways. If we recognize that properly, we don't need to face technological unemployment. But if we fall into this mythology from all these beautiful screenplays and all these wonderful productions, if we accept the machines as being living things... Unfortunately, there's a bit of a zero-sum game. It means that we'll be saying, oh, it's the machine's fault. It was the machine that did this. It was the machine that was good or evil. The moment you do that, you're letting go of your responsibility as as a person. The moment people accept the notion that people have less responsibility, at that moment, we start losing a bit of civilization. We lose a bit of society. We lose a bit of ourselves. And there's no reason for it. I mean, I love the digital technology. I've devoted my life to it. But honestly, on the inside, it's still pretty crappy. Honestly, it's not that impressive. Don't get snookered. Don't get snookered. Um, Believe in yourselves as real, mysterious living organisms who are not yet fully understood by science. Understood that we live in a... You have to understand we live in a sea of mystery. We understand so little of our situation. Take joy in that mystery. In that mystery, you also find the the profound sense of responsibility that that you're capable of, that you're morally impelled to hold on to. Uh, Science fiction is great in the theater. It stinks out on the street. Thank you, Jaron Lanier. The motion is don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. And here summarizing his position against the motion, James Hughes, executive director of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies and author of Citizen Cyborg. 
220 years ago, the French aristocrat and mathematician Nicolas Caratat, Marquis de Condorcet, was hiding from the terror, from the guillotine. He had been a revolutionary. He had been a mathematician who had come up with the theorems that argued that the crowd could be wiser than the individual, a kind of bedrock of democratic argument. And he had served in the Revolutionary Assembly, but he was a liberal, and he fell on the wrong side of the Jacobins, and he was hiding from them. And he decided to write a history of human progress, and he got through the first chapter, basically, the first book of that history, the sketch for an historical picture of the progress of the human spirit. And he argued that in the future, from his perspective, uh, we would liberate women, we would eliminate slavery, we would eliminate toil, there would be no more work, that we would eliminate disease and death, and that all of this would come about through the combined effort of the Enlightenment project of democracy, equality, solidarity, and the use of human reason through the use of science and technologies, new scientific languages and techniques. We face the same challenge today. He, by the way, he finished that book, went outside, got caught by the Jacobins, and was executed. But for me, he was an optimist sitting there under threat of death, looking forward to a future which we actually have achieved. And we face that challenge today, remembering how far we've come and having the optimism that we can muddle through and use these tools that we've developed to create a better future. And therefore, I urge you to vote against this resolution. Thank Thank you, you, James Hughes. And that motion again, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. And here to summarize his closing statement in support of the motion, uh, The Internet is Not the Answer is one of his books. He is also the host of Keen On. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Keen. This is a debate, a conversation about supposedly the reality or the fantasy of AI. This, when, you, when you make your vote at the end, we're not debating AI. We're not debating its potential. We're debating its promise. We're debating the ideology of the other team. We're debating the way in which they say AI can liberate us from the things that have enslaved us, made us unhappy, or perhaps indeed defined what it means to be human. Now, I think they're wrong. I don't think we can trust them. I don't trust James when he celebrates the elimination of work. That's an absurdity. We can laugh at it, we can snigger, but it's utterly absurd to believe in today's world, in the, in the early part of the 21st century, in political terms, that any government in the world will simply have the resources, the political will to support people who don't work. It's nonsense. Marx's ideas in the middle of the 19th century and nonsense about us being able to farm in the morning and be poets in the afternoon. It's very noble, very inspiring, but it's nonsense. It's fantasy. But let me finish with Martine. She says, there's nothing we value more than other people. I agree with her. But why? Why do we value other people? Because of their complexity. Look at the person you've come to, to this event. Think of them, your husband, your wife, your friend, your lover, your child. We love these people because of their complexity. The idea that Martine seems to be so confident that we can replicate that complexity is, in my mind, not only a fantasy, but a dangerous one. That's why we should not trust the promise of AI. Thank you, Andrew Keane. 
And that is the motion, Don't Trust the Promise of Artificial Intelligence. And here to make her closing statement against the motion, Martine Rothblatt, an entrepreneur and author of Virtually Human, The Promise and Peril of Digital Immortality. I'd like to ask you to think of AI not as a science project, but as an art project. If the human is the most delectable part of reality, then indeed it is the most important subject for art. And so it has been, so we have been, throughout the ages in sculpture, in painting, in literature, in theater, in film, and now in AI. We are creating AI as a work of art. I believe that we should trust in the promise of AI because this work of art, this replication of a human mind, will prove to be fascinating to people throughout the world and for decade after decade. I trust in the promise of AI because already decades, maybe if we listen to our um, opponents, centuries away from there actually being an AI, we've taken time out of our day to gather here and to begin to debate the ethics and the rights and wrongs of how do we want these AIs to be? What kind of restrictions do we want on them taking our jobs? What kind of rights and obligations should they have? We are a, a pretty impressive group of people to be thinking about the ethics of something which some believe, many believe, to be a century or more away. And hence, I ask everybody to vote against the resolution and instead feel that we can trust in the promise of AI because we can trust in the promise of all of us to build this immense and beautiful work of art, the human mind, and to cast that human minds that we create in an aura of applications of utility and ethics and practicality. Thank you, Martine Rothblatt. And that concludes our closing statements. With the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. Okay, I have the final results now, and it goes like this. Remember, uh, we had you vote two times, both before you heard the arguments and again after you heard the arguments, and it's the team whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point terms between the first and second votes who will be declared our winner. So let's look at the first vote. In the first vote on the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence, 30% agreed, 41% were against, 29% were undecided. Those are the first results. Now let's look at the vote on the second vote, the team, starting with the team arguing for the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence. First vote was 30%. Their second vote was 59%. They picked up 29 percentage points. That is the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 41%. Their second vote was 30%. They lost 11 percentage points. That means the team arguing for the motion, don't trust the promise of artificial intelligence, is declared our winner. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, co-presented with the 92nd Street Y, was held at the Seven Days of Genius Festival in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Kristen Muller and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the engineer. Clea Chang is chief marketing and digital officer. Chris Kamakawa is director of research. Special thanks to the staff at the 92nd Street Y. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. 
These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the John D. Templeton Foundation, the 92nd Street Y, the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Van Greenfield, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, and Dan Daniel H. Stern. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you.